You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Greensmith, episode 455. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP455. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, audience. Amy here. Time to talk about transition. So if you're new to the show, I typically do a little mini series around one particular topic. So we've been discussing transition. Last week, we had the lovely Deb Stilato here with us talking about some pretty intense, difficult transitions that she had to navigate in her life. And then next week, we're going to be having another guest expert talking about her transitions. More on that later. But today, I'm going to be digging into six ways to powerfully navigate transition. Now, this is a pretty broad topic because there are so many different types of transitions. I would argue that anytime there's a massive change to your schedule or to your modus operandi, you are going to be going through some sort of transition and it's going to either impact you dramatically, maybe just a little bit, maybe something kind of moderate. But I do think it's important that the more awareness that we create around what's happening in our lives, the better suited we are to process it and navigate navigate it. So a couple of different types of transitions. Obviously, this is a huge, huge, broad topic. Going to college or going back to college, going back to school, getting married, getting divorced or separated, starting to date somebody new, having kids, all of the different age levels that kids go through, like transitioning into having no longer having a baby, and now they're running around and a little more independent, the transition into school age, where they are now able to go to kindergarten as a transition, and, and so forth, right? Like all of those different landmarks, although they're super common, it doesn't mean that they don't pack a punch in somewhat of an emotional charge, right? So- Anything to do with kids, basically. Uh, Moving, moving locations, even if you are moving just down the street, dealing with an illness or a diagnosis, leaving a job, starting a job, starting a company, ending a company, uh, going through empty nest, dealing with retirement. There's so many different ways that we transition. It could even be changing from one career field to a completely different one. And although I think a lot of times 
these transitions are normal, they're a part of life, I think the reason why they can kind of fuck us up and feel so difficult is because it really threatens our sense of safety and security. So the things that we felt really grounded and stable and secure with have now shifted. And sometimes that will greatly impact our identity, too, especially if you're dealing with uh, a diagnosis. Let's say you've always been extremely healthy and you've been very active and you always were hiking or going on these adventures. And then you transition into some sort of injury or ailment that now impedes you from doing that. And maybe a huge element of your identity was wrapped up in being outdoorsy and being able to do all these these adventures. And now it's almost like there's this little piece of you that's missing. And I think that can be one of the reasons why transition can be so difficult. I think we usually think of it as something massive and monolithic, like a divorce or like moving across the country. But I think it's really important to understand that even small transitions can really, really do a number on us. For example, during COVID, just transitioning to working at home even though that could potentially mean less drive time, less commuting, more time with family, you know, it could be a bunch of positives. It doesn't mean that there isn't an adjustment period that sometimes carries a significant emotional weight. So we're going to talk about six different ways that you can powerfully navigate transition. And the first one is to allow room for expected and unexpected grief. So this is shocker all about giving yourself the freedom to feel what you feel. Really, when I'm talking about grief, I think that word is really loaded kind of in our society. We kind of ascribe grief to things like death or maybe possibly even going through the end of a relationship or dealing with war or things that are really egregious. But truly, grief, all that is, is sort of a conglomeration of multiple emotions that we feel around a certain transition. So there's a an organization called the Grief Recovery Method, and they have the most I think, expansive and liberal viewpoint of what grief really encompasses. And they have a quote that is their definition. Grief is the normal and natural emotional reaction to loss or change of any kind. Grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So that is just switching jobs. That's staying at the same job, but now working from home. That's still having a great relationship with your child, but now they're going off to school. Like there, It doesn't necessarily mean that it's fraught with all of these overwhelmingly sad emotions. Most of the time, it is conflicting emotions where you're really excited 
to move across the country, let's say, or you're really excited to start your own business and you're terrified and you miss the familiarity of getting a steady paycheck from an employer, right? Like we have these sort of a myriad of emotions that we feel. And I think that creates a lot of confusion for us. And we go, holy shit, why am I not excited about this new job? Why am I pining or, or feeling the sense of loss for my old coworkers? I don't want to be in that job anymore. Why am I, why do I feel this unrest? And I think we saw that a lot in lockdown with COVID where we kind of went, okay, I didn't lose my job or I don't know anyone who's actually, you know, dying from COVID right now. Or, you know, why am I so lethargic and disinterested in things and having a lack of motivation because we're in the middle of a fucking traumatic experience. But because it's not acute, it's not sharp, like the immediacy of a diagnosis or getting in an accident, let's say, those things are very acute. They're very sharp. It's like, here's when the trauma started versus something like dealing with lockdown where we're kind of ebbing and flowing and dealing with a transitional period and all this uncertainty, and it really does a number on our sense of stability and safety. Even if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The idea is that we cannot necessarily climb up the pyramid. We can't work towards, let's say, a sense of belonging in a community if our basic human needs are not met. So the fundamental basic needs that are at the bottom of the pyramid, meaning they have to be tended to first, are our safety needs, right? That Those are our needs for stability and security and food and water and shelter and having this sense of comfort and safety. It's incredibly important to the human psyche period, across the board. So I love that the Grief Method Institute specifically acknowledges that anytime we have a change in a pattern or a behavior, a change of any kind, whether positive or negative, there is likely going to be a change in how you feel about it. So my biggest suggestion for you around this is to not vote on your feelings, but rather acknowledge them. And one of the best things that you can do with this is go on Amazon and get yourself an emotions wheel. Okay. They look kind of like an artist's color wheel or, you know, it's just like a circular piece of cardboard, but it has all of these different types of emotions listed out for you. So you've probably heard me talk about Brene Brown's latest book, which is called Atlas of the Heart, which is essentially a deep dive into, I think it's around 80 something experiences and emotions that we feel that many of us don't have the vocabulary for. And when she originally polled folks, and I think this was a a while ago, she polled, I want to say it was, I want to say it was like 7,000 folks, something like that. It may have even been more and asked them, how many emotions can you identify? And they, on average, it was three, three emotions they could identify. Mad, sad, and happy. That's it. So that would make a lot of sense that if you were going through a transition, let's say you are just newly separated or you have just had a baby and you're thinking, okay, I'm supposed to be so happy about this. 
but I don't feel super happy all the time. I feel angry. I feel sad. But that's all you have as far as the vocabulary. That's going to be very difficult for you to name the medley of emotions that are happening inside of grief because grief kind of by definition is is a medley of emotions. It's not just one. It's where we're kind of dancing between a handful of them. So you might feel overwhelmed. You might feel fear. You might feel sadness. You might feel excitement. You might feel happiness or joy. And they're all kind of meshed together in this massive piece of confusion. And then layer on top of it that our society tells us, like, don't ask for help. Nobody wants to hear your shit. You know, don't layer this on anyone else. And so we we stuff it. And then it It ends up coming out in some way that's detrimental to us. So the first item of business is to get a handle on this, to recognize that you're not out of control, you're not losing your mind if you simply are feeling something that you think is incongruent to what you're going through. Maybe you are newly pregnant and you thought you would be ecstatic about it, but you're you're super bummed out and you're feeling a sense of overwhelm or loss. That's okay. That doesn't mean, holy shit, I made a mistake. I think it's important that we recognize that emotions are simply just messaging. They're just there to kind of share with us, hey, there's something here for you to pay attention to. And without having that vocabulary around specific emotions, it's difficult for us to really nail that down. So I would say get a hold of Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown if you have not done so already. Grab yourself an emotions wheel and start upping the ante on you being able to adequately and accurately describe what you are feeling in each and every instance. And it can be really helpful, too, to take the emotions wheel and just go, okay, I'm feeling dismissed. I'm feeling excitement. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And then take that and just start writing. Use it as a journal prompt. Like, what about my situation feels overwhelming? What about this situation feels exciting? What about this situation feels obligatory? Or where do I feel dismissed? Where do I feel less than? You know, whatever the sort of the bevy of emotions that you're experiencing. So you have to give yourself time to feel that. We cannot calculate (laughs) how that shows up. And sometimes we don't know until... We know until you have the big breakdown or where somebody says one small thing and then you lash out and you go, holy shit, where'd that come from? That that didn't seem like it <laughs> warranted that sort of a response. So keep in mind that it it sometimes it just comes out and you don't realize. And that's when you clean up a mess. If you've met, made a mess, you apologize. But you take that responsibility to start processing it. What has come up for you? When we moved across the states four or five years ago, we moved from Southern California to Charlotte, North Carolina, so literally coast to coast. And although it was this beautiful, amazing thing that we were going through and that you know we had planned for for quite a few years, there were still so many things that when we got here – called for processing, you know, just the fact that we had to do everything new, new vets, new mechanics, new grocery stores, new residents, new insurance, all of those things created a sense of instability, which registered as a threat. 
right? Like, so you you have sometimes heightened anxiety. You sometimes have a little bit of a depression. You know, you have these different experiences and you go, why the fuck am I feeling this way? This is good. We wanted this. We, this, this didn't come out of nowhere. This was planned. And it's a change in a pattern or a behavior. And that calls for processing. So, Voting on it and saying, why am I feeling this way or you shouldn't feel this way is never, ever helpful. It's best to just say, here's what it is. Notice it. Name it. And that and you, by the way, you can find emotions wheels on the Internet where you can just like print them out. You know, you don't have to go buy anything. But to give you sort of a reference point of, okay, this is what it is to feel, you know, uh, grief, awe overwhelm, etc. And that's one of the reasons why I love Atlas of the Heart so much is because it goes through a lot of not just emotions, but experiences like perfectionism, or, you know, people pleasing those sorts of things that we do behaviorally, but they're not necessarily an emotion. But it gives you sort of this chronicling and this experience of like, oh, that's what despair looks like. That's what wonder looks like that. Okay. And gives us a little bit more vocabulary to to navigate. All right. So number one, allow room for expected and unexpected grief. And I'm going to link to some episodes that I've done on grief in the past that might be helpful for you. And that's going to vary depending on how severe the situation is, right? If you have a transition that's, from all intents and purposes, is positive, like you're moving to a new job that you're really excited about, that's going to be very different than dealing with a really devastating medical diagnosis or a diagnosis of a family member or a child or, you know, if it, it that is going to inform how long it's going to take you to process and acknowledge. But here's what I will say. The quicker you can acknowledge what's happening for you emotionally, the faster you move through the issue. 100 and 10%. So I've told this story many times. My father passed away in 07. And my siblings and I all handled that grief very, very differently. And we were all with him as he passed. So our father literally died in front of our eyes. And I just face forward right into grief and didn't give a shit if anybody saw me crying. I would talk to people and just bawl my eyes out. I didn't try to hide it. Pumping gas, getting anything at the grocery store. I, if I was crying, I was like, sorry, I'm crying. You know, I'm just like, eh, nope, not apologizing. Uh, I just lost my father crying. Don't worry about it. Allowed myself to just feel what I feel and didn't try to suppress it, didn't try to drink it away, didn't try to numb out, didn't try to do anything like that, which is also understandable why people turn to that when you're in such extreme pain. But I sat with it and I moved through that grief really fast. I think I had a week where I was in the depths of despair and then I was kind of able to talk about it and relive it and experience it with so much gratitude and appreciation and it was just a radically different experience when, after I had allowed myself the freedom to really go through that grief. I wanted to take a quick moment to thank Let's Get Checked for sponsoring this podcast. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing super easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Well, 
testing for what, you might ask? Well, they have a huge array of at-home testing kits, including women's health, men's health, sexual health, and wellness kits. In fact, I did two of the women's hormone testing kits, and it could not have been easier. And then when I received the results, I was able to simply forward them onto my naturopath to get her thoughts. All you do is you simply choose your test online. It will be delivered to you in discreet packaging with next day delivery. And then once your sample arrives in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Once your results are available, they'll be reviewed by a physician and then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. And in some cases, a physician will be able to provide prescriptions to the pharmacy of your choosing. Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. Let's Get Checked lets you avoid uncomfortable office visits by providing you with access to home testing and professional medical consultations without ever leaving your home. It has never been this simple to get tested. So get this. If you want to try a test from Let's Get Checked, all you got to do is go to trylgc.com slash bold truth to save a whopping 30% on your first test kit. 30%. Just use the code bold truth, all one word at checkout. That's bold truth to save 30% on your first test kit. So before we continue on, I wanted to ask a quick favor from you. Do you ever listen to the pod, and I think this might happen for you, where you think, damn, I really wish so-and-so could hear this. Maybe it's your coworker who could actually use a lesson or two on boundaries, or maybe it is a women's group that you're a part of where everyone is super on board for speaking up for themselves, but nobody really knows what that really sounds like. Okay, where here's where you come in. I have three battle-tested and badass keynote speeches that are ready to be delivered to your company, organization, group, association. So if you, your community, or anyone you know could benefit from me rocking the mic, like who couldn't use some new tools, right? Please send them over to amygreensmith.com slash speaking, where you or they can message me directly about specific needs for the audience. Shocker, the three keynotes are focused around speaking up, contending with fear, and accessing enoughness. And all three of them can be delivered either in person or virtually, and of course, can be completely customized for specific audience needs. So again, simply send them to amygreensmith.com slash speaking, where they can get in touch with me. Because listen, it is time that women everywhere have the tools necessary to use their voice, take up space, and advocate for their wants, needs, and opinions, like yesterday. And if you end up orchestrating an opportunity for me to speak with your group, you will officially get unlimited squeezes from me. (laughs) And I'm sure you're all in now. And be sure to let them know that I can always temper my colorful language if needed. And thank you. All right, let's get back to the show. Number two is identity work. So I alluded to this a little bit earlier. A lot of times when we go through a major transition, it threatens who we actually are. And we had a situation similar to this when 
again, when we were moving across the country and we had planned everything out. And so we knew that once we left on our trip across the country, that I was going to start taking over as the breadwinner for the household. So we started our cross-country trip with a lovely vacation to Hawaii. And then we were going to go to Vegas and then just see the states for like three weeks. And it was fantastic. But we started in Hawaii. And Hawaii was the last time that Mr. Smith was going to be majorly contributing financially because he left a brick-and-mortar business to restart out in North Carolina. But my business was all online, so it didn't really skip a beat. So that was his last major foothold in that identity of contributing financially to the household. So he didn't even quite realize that that transition of identity was getting to him. And it started manifesting in some really controlling behavior, which is very much not like him at all. So we would be, you know, taking a photo or something like that. And he'd be like, no, hold it like this. Hold it like. And I was like whoa, what what are you doing? Or different ways where different places we would be going. He would say, no, we, we have to go this way. I have to do this. And we kind of talked about it later. And re- he kind of realized, like, I feel like this is my last little bit of holding on to contributing financially. And now that we're moving, I don't have my clients. I don't have my business. I don't have my best friends. I don't have a job. I don't have money. Like, I'm... All of these pieces of who I am and who I've been over the last 10 years since he had you know, run his organization is completely an upheaval. And so it was starting to come out in, in sort of some aggression and controlling behavior. And once we were able to kind of talk about that, we were able to look at how can I support you as this identity starts to shift And this is a major one that I work through with my clients where we look at who who are you? You know, part of it is our value system. Part of it is what we've been labeled as our entire lives and feeling like we have to live into those labels or we have to massively defy those labels. Right. So if you were the flaky one. You know, maybe you grow up and you have to prove how professional and on board and punctual you are. And so you've got sort of a chip on your shoulder or maybe you were the strong one. And so now you feel because everyone called you strong, 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 strong. You feel like you can never break down. So how we've been labeled throughout our lives our values, the things that matter the most to us, all of these things inform our identity. And when there is an element of that that's removed from our life, like I was talking about earlier, if you've always been active and now that part of your life, that part of your identity has to shift, there's a lot of reckoning to happen with that. A lot of times people will go through this with empty nests. They'll go, who am I besides parent, right? Like, God, I've put the last, you know, two decades into keeping this human alive. (laughs) And God, what do I like? What do I care about? I don't even know what matters to me the most, right? So understanding that a lot of major life transitions, especially ones that come out of the blue, 
It's very different when it's calculated versus when you somebody passes away or you have to move to another country for work like and you weren't seeing that come in or anything like that. Those are the times that that it really impacts our identity. But there can be a really beautiful pl- place here to take yourself on dates uh, experiment with things that you possibly were interested in years ago or you've always kind of wanted to try and you get to start creating actively and consciously who do I want to be in the middle of this transition so one of the things that I would advocate that you try is to think about your life like you are on a movie screen and you're watching yourself, you're watching this character go through this really trying time, this very specific transition, how do you want to describe that character that you see? When things are a little uncertain, they don't feel super stable, how do you want to behave? How would you want somebody to describe you? And you start thinking about, okay, what does resilience look like? Maybe that's one of the terms. Or I want to stay grounded. I want to access my peace. I want to focus on the things that I do know or the people who do keep me grounded. Start thinking about how do I, how would I want to describe myself if I were a character on a movie going through this particular transition? I would want to say, she does this, they do that, he's this way. What What's that descriptor? Well, another great piece, if you're not necessarily in a transition, a great question you can ask is, who am I besides whatever that area is that's in transition? So let's say you got a cancer diagnosis. Who am I besides someone who just received a cancer diagnosis? Who am I besides parent? Who am I besides employee? Who am I besides philanthropist? You know, and ask yourself, like, what are the other facets to who I am as a human that maybe have been left dormant for a while because all of my energy has been so focused in this one particular area of my life? All right, number three. This is my one of my favorite, favorite mantras and assignments to give to students and clients. And that this is going to apply to number four as well. But number three is to focus on what you do know. So it can be so easy to focus on, well, I don't know what's happening at my company. I don't know what's happening if I'm going to have to move. I don't know what's happening with my landlords. I don't know what's happening with my siblings. I don't I don't know what's going on with my mom's health. I don't, right? Like we can get so swept up into the uncertainty. Instead, focus on the things that you do know. All of the elements of your life that are actually really certain that feel stable. And then you can use this as sort of a self-talk reframe. So what I mean by that is, let's say there's a bunch of stuff happening with your your roommates or your partner might be moving out, but you don't know. And that feels super unstable. And that then you don't know where you're going to live or you don't know what's happening right now in your workplace. And if you're going to get a promotion or if you're not, or if they're going to assign you to another 
branch or a different state or whatever. And so it's so easy to go, I don't, ah," getting caught up in the anxiety of all the uncertainty instead going, okay, what are the things that are really certain? Well, I'm, I am certain that the groceries that I bought last night are going to be in my refrigerator tomorrow morning. I am certain that my phone is working. I am certain that my brother will be there for me no matter what. I am certain that the sun will come out tomorrow. I am certain that my car will start because it's nice and dependable. So there's so many things that are actually quite stable and that we can count on. But we disregard those and we laser focus into these things that feel really wobbly. So taking that moment and recognizing what do I know right now? What do I know right now? And staying focused on those things. Now, a nice close Parallel to that is number four, focus on the step you are on. I cannot tell you how many times I have worked with somebody where they start to future trip. And we all do it. We all do it out of self-preservation. We want to make sure we're, we're safe and secure no matter what scenario we encounter. That's why we spin out into what ifs. But if you are interviewing for a job that you don't know if you're going to get it or not, it doesn't make a ton of sense to start thinking about how how am I going to decorate my office? Am I going to get am I, am I, am I going to get along with those folks that now are going to be answering to me? Am I going to oh gosh, what am I going to do about my lunches? I used to always eat lunch, you know, and you just spin out, spin out. We're not on that step yet. Or you just start dating somebody and you go, oh, shit, do they want to have kids? Do they want to get married? Do they want? You're not on that step yet. First, let's just see if you like being around them. <laughs> right. So take it back a notch. Focus on the step that you are on and keep asking for asking yourself, what information do I need to make a sound decision? And if you don't have that information yet, you're not on that step to make the decision, right? Like if you if you're not there yet, don't worry about it. Okay, take it down a notch and just go, Okay, what what are what's the immediate information that I need in order to make this decision? What what is happening right now? Right now. Right now. All right. So number three and four, focus on what you do know. And then focus on the step that you are on. People will, you know, love to bait you into that. Like, well, what are you going to do about this or that? Or what what are you going to do about a car? What are you going to do about insurance? What are you going to do? I'm not on that step yet. I don't even know if I got the job yet. Right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that yet. I'm not worrying about it right now. Okay? Focus on the step you're on. Number five. This is something that we all have pretty much have access to and we don't even think about it. Number five is figure out and focus on your core comforts. So what are the things that bring you a sense of stability and comfort? Right now, despite the upheaval in your life, it could be things like having a weighted blanket or really cozy pajamas or socks or slippers. It could be something like that, like apparel. It could be 
very specific friends that you call that you always feel better knowing that they're kind of on your team and on your side. It could be little screensavers or th- like things you want to be reminded of on your phone or your computer. It can also be things like movies or series that you've watched over and over and over again, there is a comfort in watching things that we already know the ending to. So if you are finding yourself doing that, it's usually because you're craving some sort of comfort in your life, some sort of stability, something I can count on. I know exactly how this movie is going to end. And that's okay. Sometimes calling those things in when you need that sense of like normalcy, do that 100%. People and places and things you can count on and, you know, genuinely just asking yourself, what is the most comforting element that I can call upon right now that that gives me just a little bit more peace? Now, this can be a little tricky because sometimes it's food or it's drinking. And I I don't want to ever be in a place where I go comfort eating or comfort drinking is awful and bad and stay away because I I don't think I don't think it's as black and white as that. But I do think there's a way in which we can go, okay, how what are the the healthy ways that I can comfort myself right now? Even being in a fetal position can be incredibly comfort comforting. Um asking a friend or a loved one to like hold you can be really comforting. So thinking outside the box, like the things that genuinely would give you that sense of stability. I remember when I moved that same cross country move coming out here and everything was different. And granted, we're still in the States. It's not like I moved to a different country or anything, but all the grocery stores were different. And because every single thing in my life felt new and different, even though it wasn't right, like Mr. Smith wasn't new. A lot of my clothes weren't new. Right, My dog wasn't new. Our car wasn't new. We had so many things that actually were stable and certain. But because I was in this transition phase and was craving things that felt stable, I actively searched out a Trader Joe's and drove to a Trader Joe's grocery store way fucking far away from me simply because I needed something familiar. I needed to know the aisles and the products the way I knew back in California. So I think there are certain things that we can tap into that go, okay, I know this path that I walk around, that feels really comforting to me, or this movie I've always watched, or this friend who always has the right thing to say. Those are the things to attach to when you are really struggling with a feeling of certainty and comfort and reliability. And then finally, number six is to call in your support system. A lot of times when we're transitioning, when we are, you know, starting a new job or maybe the the kids are kids have a diagnosis god forbid or are starting a new new chapter maybe they're going to college or something it can be so easy to share those things with people who aren't necessarily capable of supporting you the best I love to say, speak your truth into ears that can hear you. And what I mean by that is anything that you are vulnerable about, anything that you feel a little emotionally fragile about, 
share those things with ears that can hear you. Because a lot of times we run and we tell our parents who are not always the best support system or we tell the sibling or we tell another coworker, somebody who has good intentions, but they don't say, how can I support you the best? Or, you know, what what is the most encouraging thing for you to hear? How can I how can I help? How can I, you know, say the right things during this time? Instead, they go into their fear responses. So I'll give you an example. When I left makeup artistry and working for a prestige makeup brand, I told my manager, who I had a great relationship with, that I was going to be starting my own business and I was going to be, you know, working as a coach. And she, although super supportive and happy for me, she went into all of her fears of, oh my gosh, well, what if, what if the recession is, this was back in 08. She was like, what if the recession, what if people can't afford it? And oh my gosh, what are you going to do for medical benefits? And what are you going to do? And so I knew that those people could not be my confidants. I had to be very selective about how much information I divulged to them and how much of a deep conversation I was willing to entertain. So I had to shut those things down pretty quickly because I was already dealing with enough freak out about starting my own business, right? So I had to really watch that. And then the wise counsel that I sought out, I made sure that they were people that saw my biggest visions, okay? So sometimes the people we wish saw our biggest vision or our hope through a transition or something grief-ridden are not always the people who are capable of it. So be really vigilant about who is within your soul circle, right? And you don't want to be around people who are like, oh, I told you that would happen or, oh, I was worried this would happen. No, those aren't the people that we tell the whole the whole vulnerable story with. Looking for those folks who say, how can I support you the best? What's the most helpful thing to hear right now? And then calling in the experts, y'all. Like, you don't need to be a fucking hero. There are people, there are coaches, there are therapists, there are counselors, there are support groups, there are faith organizations that are there to support other folks specifically through whatever it is that you're going through, whether it be illness or divorce or whatnot guaranteed there's a practitioner out there who is skilled at helping you navigate it. You do not have to go through it on your own. And I think most folks, our two guest experts in this series included, have said that those close-knit folks in their life were what helped them get through. It wasn't necessarily that it was this, you know, breakthrough you know, blessing from God that came through or, you know, miraculously their business took off or they made a ton of money or they all of a sudden were cancer free or whatnot. It was that they had those people near them who gave them life, who helped them through that transition. So don't discount that. We're not meant to do these types of things on our own. Finding that really close knit group of people and experts that can help you through those times. All right. So let's talk about uh, a quick little synopsis, six ways to powerfully navigate transition. Number one, allow room for expected and unexpected grief, identity work, 
start looking at who am I outside of this one specific issue that's going on. Number three and four, focus on what you do know. What are the things that are certain? And number four, focus on the step that you are on. Don't get caught up in all those what ifs and the future tripping. What step am I on? What decisions need to be made right now? And what information do I need in order to take the next step? Number five, figure out your core comforts. And number six, tap into that support system. I'm hoping this has been helpful for y'all. I would love to hear from you. I hang out the most on Instagram. You can find me under the handle, Hey Amy Green Smith. And next week, we're going to be talking with Michelle Ward. She is a coach who I've been connected with for many, many years, well over a decade. And she actually dealt with two different cancer diagnoses. So we're going to talk about how to deal with that sort of transition next week as we close out this mini series on transition. And then we'll be jumping into a brand new series that I do so hope that you'll stick around for. And until then, please remember that you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak the bold faced truth. wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding. But I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you. Bye.